Hello, Kira Dyer here. Welcome to episode five of Loving an Addict. This podcast is inspired by a great loss, our daughter Emma, who passed away from an accidental overdose. Our desire is to spread awareness, love, and hope, to also help those who are striving to love the addict in their lives, because we know that that person is so much more than an addict. Okay, this is a fun episode today. Duff and I are going to be talking to the infamous Tony Overbay. The last time we were in his office, when we were on his podcast in June, talking about our daughter, Emma. Now today, he's on our podcast. We wanted to talk to him about pornography. We believe this is where Emma's um, negative behaviors began, and we wanted to help parents be aware of how they can talk to their kids and hopefully have an open enough relationship where the kids feel comfortable asking the parents for help when they are in need. Tony is a has a best-selling book and multiple successful podcasts and also a pornography recovery program called The Path Back. I'm going to link all of these things in our show notes. Uh, we started off with a little mic testing here in the beginning, and it was pretty funny, so I decided to keep it in. Here you go. Okay, let's see if this... Uh, yeah, come on. Okay. Your song or we're testing? Sing. Yeah, yeah, we'll just have Duff sing. You harmonize. So, yeah. Oh, okay. I can't do that. Test. Snow. 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 <laughs> Oh, I've never done anything like that in my life. When you was... just heard a sound, you wash oh, your teeth and brush your breath with snow. Okay, that was, that's one of the highlights of my day. Get be. out. You're having a terrible day. <laughs> I, well, that's, but I've always wanted to harmonize like that. Okay, you start. Then. You know what that's from? No. That's it's from, from White Christmas, the oh. movie. His, you could call up any of his siblings and one of them could, they would harmonize. Would they would really? do it, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll okay. be in the middle of the restaurant and be like, snow, snow, ho, ho, ho. Oh, I, feel, I feel very fortunate that's to be good. a part of that. Hi, everybody. This is Loving an Addict, episode five. Huge, momentous episode. Five. Our fifth one. It's crazy. Five it's right. big. Yeah. But we have so a big. very, very special guest. We, last week, said it was a her because that was our intention of someone else coming on oh, I feel who so. wasn't I, able okay. to do it. We bumped it for you. So, <laughs> oh, that's even better. Thank you, Duff. Okay. She wasn't able to do it. She so actually canceled. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so wait, I thought that when you called five minutes ago that you just thought that'd be... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, so... There's only one comedian here, Tony. <laughs> okay. Let's get this okay. right. All right. Know your role, buddy. All right. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, so Tony, we want, we want you to introduce yourself. Oh. Tell us why we asked you. I don't know anymore. Yes, uh, sure no, I'm you kidding. Do. I okay. The intros are always funny because you sound very egotistical if I say, "Let me tell you of all my accolades." You guys, please do. <laughs> okay. Yes, please do. Uh, I am Tony Overbay, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and host of the Virtual Couch Podcast, which you guys came on. Yes. And that was one of the just I don't know. That was such an amazing, important episode, and I was grateful for that. And well, it's because of that that we decided to do this because we didn't realize how much positive reception impact yeah. the impact yeah. it would make yeah which is really the driving force behind what we're doing right now yeah, yeah. it's, it's yeah. incredible i was telling you guys before i think if i pulled up the stats it's oh well over 100 countries now that it's been listened to in so and crazy. and just it's thousands Super of downloads more <laughs> but it's really it's incredible and i still hear a lot about it and i was telling you also before i think between all my different podcasts that i've had a part of i'm pushing 500 episodes and that one was one of the most i think impactful ones that that i've seen so i'm a podcast host and a real live therapist and I've written a best-selling book called He's a Porn Addict, Now What? An Expert in a Former Addict Answer All Your Questions. And then I got a couple other books in the works. And about I, I feel like I'm launching a new podcast about every other week. So I probably should slow that down a little bit. But one of them is about ADHD, which I think says it all. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. You know, if someone could teach you how to be driven, Tony. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> that might help Get a little life. more done. Yeah, that would, you might be able yeah. to accomplish more. You could use that. Well, the focus today 
is on pornography, not just in general, but specifically with teens and early mm -hmm. teens, because we feel that was probably the largest contributor to our Emma's issues, challenges, struggles, was what I have termed early onset <laughs> pornography use. Oh, okay. you like that one? She I do, was actually. pretty young. Yeah. 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 And, you know, looking back, as we've already shared, she was 9, 10-ish, um, kind of when it started. I want to say she was 11. Is that yeah. okay to come uh, back there? It's okay, I guess. We don't really know for sure. Because um, we didn't know until she was 17. But, oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. It's so prevalent now in families yeah. and teenagers. And an interesting thing that happened this week, we tend to get calls or texts from people out of the blue that are listening. And one had reached out to Kira and said, I didn't realize that it was a, a girl issue as much as it is a boy mm. issue. Yeah. That so actually, that's one thing we want to talk about yeah. today. That yeah. actually surprised me too. It was somebody that I graduated with and it just surprised me that was still, because we thought, oh, that was so 10 years ago. That was that thinking then, that was that era, but that is still happening now. So yeah. why do you think that is? Yeah, the truth is, I mean, it still is. I think it's one of those things where our, our brain still wants to default to like all or nothing or black or white. It's got to be guys, not girls. or Because it, it is still more prevalent with males. But if you go start looking up stats, it's one of the things, unfortunately, you can find all kinds of stats because it can be what's the age of first exposure. Because usually that's typically a little more male driven. But then sometimes when females are more ex are exposed, then they may have a little bit more shame because even they feel like I'm not supposed to be doing this. I thought mm. it was just guys. Our okay. Emma certainly thought that. Yeah, yeah. And I think, okay, if we even go back further, um, I, so I've been a therapist 17, 18 years. And when I first started, I just, I felt this call. I'd been, I'd been in the computer industry for about 10 years and I felt a call to change careers and I wanted to help men be better husbands and fathers. And I thought that sounded amazing. And I go to grad school and it was funny because a lot of the teachers would always ask you, why are you here? And I would hear, you know, I would say that and you would hear, I think other classmates go, oh, that, that sounds so admirable. And then I almost felt like teachers just thought, oh, how cute, mm -hmm. you know, that I'm going to help men. Oh, and, aren't you adorable? Yeah. Like yeah. almost like good uh, luck in your journey. Yeah. Wait till yeah. you see that a lot of guys weren't coming into counseling, especially 15 mm -hmm. or more years ago. Right. So then I started working for my church and uh, it was an honor. So was it all wives coming in for you to tell them, hey, this is how <laughs> well, you tell your husband a, to be a better husband? Well, I thought that was going to be it, truthfully. And then when I got, a, I started working for my church because when you get your, when you get out of grad school, you've got to put 3,000 hours in as an intern before you can sit for licensing exams. So I go to work for this nonprofit and then I, I say, I'm, I'm on board. Give me all the guys you got. And then basically that ends up being people that are struggling with their sexual identity pornography addiction, and then faith crisis. Mm -hmm. So that was the population I was working with a lot. And then I was working with a lot of women that were struggling with betrayal trauma because they were in relationships with people that were struggling with porn addiction or mm -hmm. infidelity, that sort of thing. Uh, but then the more I started working and getting men in there, and I think this was kind of interesting, was there was already a couple of different camps. And one was the a lot of the behavioral modifications. So when you think when you think a bad thought, seeing a hymn, you know, or that sort of thing, yeah. or do your push-ups. And then I was already working in the space of, okay, pornography is a, it's an unhealthy coping mechanism. And so pretty quickly on, I developed what I thought were these five voids. And if somebody, the guys I was working with at the time, if they felt not connected in their marriage or their parenting, their faith, their career, or their health, then they would turn to porn as a coping mechanism. So is that yeah. because, and, and I don't know if we, we haven't really gotten to our, our question yet, but do you think it's because it's not alcohol, which is easy to detect on your breath. Mm -hmm. It's not drugs because it's easy to see, you know, erratic behavior yeah. or 
gambling where you'd see money missing from the account. Is it because it's really easier, hard to, to, to detect and to Yeah, to it's notice? easy to hide. And so people can live the, the duality of self or dual lives, whether it's a kid or an adult. Yeah. And it almost becomes even more a larger duality because somebody that feels so bad about what they're doing is sometimes going to overcompensate with, look at how good I am, mm -hmm. almost to convince themselves or others as well okay. that, that, that I'm not that bad. I know that I can go on a tangent. So let, I, let me try to get to, I'll, I'll get back to your question. I think, what was the question? Which by the way, when are we doing the podcast <laughs> on ADHD? <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. Okay. Boys and girls. Okay. So, oh, but I think with that one that, yeah, it's still, a lot of people still just view that it's, it's only, it's only boys. So like that boys will be boys kind of attitude or is that is, and, and then, it, and then it's kind of brushed off a little more, a little bit, but like yeah. you're saying girls have more shame in it because yeah. they are feeling that it's so unusual yeah. still. Yeah. So many factors I think that are that go into play with why it's so difficult for a girl, especially a teenager, to open up about this um, challenge. And, and, and even down to the point where a lot of the therapists that work in this space, like myself, are men. If you're gonna go see somebody to get help, here's a teenage girl who probably already feels bad about it, who then is gonna go see a guy and worrying about, I mean, there's so many yeah. things, there are layers that get in the way of that. But I think what's really interesting is, so when I started, this however long ago that was we still viewed even in this space that if somebody we, we viewed it like if somebody struggled with their with a sexual compulsion or impulse control disorder that meant that there had been sexual abuse in their childhood okay. and that was still when we were starting to acknowledge that it's so easy to access pornography that now early childhood exposure to pornography is a kid being sexualized and so where before again if somebody was struggling with porn. The, the term is early onset pornography. Oh, that's, I've heard this in the literature. It's a thing. Right? Yeah, no, exactly. Wait, wait, yeah, early it's everywhere onset, now. Early onset pornography use. Okay, but it is though, because what's fascinating, so I give this example often in that, I might have even done it actually on our episode, but if a kid is exposed at whatever, third grade, fourth grade, because it is getting younger and younger, right? then they have the images, they have the language, they have the feelings, all of those now are entered into their mind. I give the example where then if they're in, the, I had this experience where I remember Mrs. Anderson, all of a sudden, if a kid's seen porn young, then they see their teacher. And if she has, you know, large chest and that sort of thing, he's not looking at her anymore. Like she's my third grade teacher. He's like, whoa, wait a minute, you right. know? And so that's how people start to sexualize young. And so at that point, they're not going and saying to their mom or dad, hey, do you know Mrs. This Anderson is... has the breasts? You know, no, oh, they're yeah. like thinking, wait, why am I seeing that? And then do I, should I think that or should I not think that? And, and you start thinking about the emotional Whereas maybe part. a kid yeah. who hasn't would, would go home and, and nonchalantly be like, yeah, our teacher has really big breasts. It's <laughs> just well, a, it's yeah, a, or and, not even and, say anything, just say my teacher's annoying. Yeah. So it's yeah. not even in their mind, right. you yeah. know? And so it's the later that somebody was exposed for a while, it was just believed that it, it was gonna be less of an issue because that early exposure of, and there's this concept called implicit memory, which is like what it feels like to be you or me or any of us. And that's built off of this slow residue of our lived experience. So if from an early time as a kid, if you were witnessing trauma or if you had to fend for yourself or if you were witnessing, you know, you saw porn, then that starts to paint what your implicit memory is or what it feels like to be you. So, you know, it's almost like everything starts to then branch off of this women or, and especially if they're seeing porn where women are sexualized or they're, what's the word that I always use? Objectified or that sort of thing. So now all of a sudden it's just, even if it's not a kid aggressively thinking, oh, she's an object, you know, it's like she's a woman and she has parts and she has pieces and, and that person is kissing her and that, you know, and so that's part of their implicit memory where if somebody else hasn't seen that, they're still just thinking 
I don't know, I want to watch cartoons or I want to play with my toys. Right. And so you just start to see how that implicit memory or that internal landscape of your mind starts to change. Right. Yeah. And and how similar are the male and female brain at like age 9, 10, 11? My understanding is they're actually really, really similar at that age. It isn't until, call it teens or, or early adult years, where that kind of separation happens as far as the maturity level of the female brain. Yeah. I mean, come on, let's call it what it is. The, the male brain is immature <laughs> so, like forever, but why it's so much more common with girls and boys at that age. So what's interesting, that's a good, so the level of curiosity or whatever it is. So when I go speak and I want, you know, I like to try to be hilarious at first. And we talk about the differences between men and women is that early on, if you look at like the evolutionary biology, the brain, all of us, our thoughts go through this area called the temporal parietal junction, which is like where you quickly assess is there danger. And if there's danger, then we have to get into fight or flight mode. But if there's not danger, then we get into this, or or no, the first place you go is mirror neuron system. Is it danger? And then if we get to that point and we say it's not dangerous, then it's what do we do with it? And that's where we get the knock on being fix it guys. Like male brain is compartmentalized and it's fix it. So as long as it's not something that's a threat to me now, what do I do with it? Okay. But then the thought is that the female mirror neuron system is that the buck kind of stops there. It's like, okay, it may not be dangerous, but I need to take in everything on here. You know, I need to kind of figure out what is going on here because because the guy brain is saying, do I need to kill it or not? If not, what do I got to do next? And you can even look at like, it's such a trip to think, uh, like women typically have better, no, men can often have better hearing. Women have better peripheral vision and they have better depth of color. And so this guy goes back to the theory that a guy is out hunting and it, when it is time to hunt, he hunts. When it's time to sleep, he sleeps. When it's time to, you know, eat, he eats. And the woman is watching kids playing and has to anticipate the saber-toothed tiger attacks or whatever. So like peripheral vision, depth of field, colors, that sort of thing. And so that stuff starts to, that's what starts to then mature as you get into like puberty kicks in and that sort of thing. So early before that, yeah, the belief is we're still kind of all processing things of, if it's not scary, then what do I do with it? Yeah. 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 But then it starts to branch out. Which puberty. turns into curiosity. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is normal. Yeah. And that's yeah. one of our, that's one of our, our things we want to, kind of emphasizes that when kids, teenagers, whatever, start to get exposed to it, that there's nothing wrong with them Mm -hmm. for being curious. There's nothing wrong with them for being interested. Like it's it's an extremely normal, if you will, way to react to it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I know. I think so much of it is the parents. I mean, it really is how the parents respond. Sure. But a lot of parents will, they don't know. And I think this is what's tough and why I like what you guys are doing with the podcast, because parents, we can beat ourselves up pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then, but so often, and it's so easy for me to say from my chair, but there sometimes that we just have to go from an acceptance that there are things that happen that we don't know about. And we didn't have the tools to be able to communicate about them. Cause then sometimes if a parent goes in and hears something like a podcast and they go in and say, you haven't been looking at porn, have you? You know, all of a sudden if the kid's right. like, right, I mean, they don't even know like all of a sudden i don't know should i be have i don't know or yeah yeah i think that's a good segue because we did want to say so let's say you suspect or there's Mm -hmm. signs because we talked about that a little bit with just looking back the signs that we maybe kind of missed and and thought oh it's the age it's you know puberty it's junior high it's Yeah. Right. When it was much more drastic than those things. Yeah. Right. So I have strong opinions on this and I'm glad you bring this up. So let's take a, a side note to say, what do we do when we feel uncomfortable? Because it's hard. We're not wired to sit with discomfort at all. So we want right. to get rid of our discomfort. So that's what happens when parents, if sometimes if they feel like 
maybe my kid is, yeah. that's uncomfortable. And so it's much easier to say, but probably not. Right. It's, you know? e- it's easy to just yeah, it's like, second yeah, guess probably your not first bad. thought. Yeah, exactly. Cause then, but then even I can have somebody learn that, okay, I need to acknowledge when I feel uncomfortable, maybe my body, my brain, my gut, my intuition is telling me something. But then even then, now if I'm going to try to have the conversation, okay, that's uncomfortable as well. Right. So now we've got a whole, we're back to the discomfort. And what do we do with discomfort? Sometimes the first thing we want to do is give a quick lecture. Oh, I feel better. Okay. I told them, Hey, uh, you know, you can, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What I expect, or, you know, you can come to me if you're struggling with anything. Right. And if there's, if they say, yeah, I'm like, (laughs) good talk, you know, and I got rid of my discomfort and I did well, but I think that we have to start, I love that you bring up curiosity because I think that we have to recognize that if I all of a sudden have a thought and I want to get rid of that and I want to ask them, is that just me wanting to get rid of my discomfort? Because in the grand scheme of things, I think we got to go in there almost looking like a detective and start to be really curious. And, and so then maybe if we're noticing things, maybe we are going to go in and check the browser history. You know, maybe we are going right. to, maybe like, let me check their phone or we are going to start being more of, a, of an observer for a little bit. And I'm not trying to say you're trying to gather evidence so that then you can say, aha, I caught you. But I, I think ultimately that maybe will give you enough pause or confidence or to be able to then go in with curiosity. And this is where I say that there's a book called The Elephant in the Brain, and it's an okay book, but it's talking about you know, the elephant in the brain is that we're all a bit manipulative. And so once we kind of accept that, then this is where I say that I'm okay with a little bit of, of the good kind of manipulation from a kid. So if I know that I've seen the browser history stuff, or I know that they're struggling with something and it's on their phone, rather than me just go confront them because I need to let them know, then I feel like this is okay for me to start bringing things up about, you know, sometimes people feel this way or, or, you know, I was reading something that talked about this and have you ever felt that way? Or cause in a perfect world, if you can get the kid to then start to open up to you now, I mean, now they're engaged in the conversation and too often when we go in there and we want to have the conversation, then, you know, they're going to, they're going to kind of be res- defensive. Yeah, totally. Right. So you're saying not have one sit down talk yeah. and let's have the big eye lecture. Yeah. Let's, you're slowly yeah. asking them different things yeah. that are like, have you ever thought about this? Yeah. Or just in a casual way? I mean, I like, a- I like that. Yeah. The, the okay. more casual we, and then when you can establish a pretty healthy routine of this, and I'm not saying, I mean, my kids have all had their own things that they go through, but when we would have our, like a family night, I would often say, I would tell a story about you know, some new article I read about porn or whatever. And then now and again, I would say, okay, what, how's it getting through on your, to you guys these days? Like, what are you seeing it on devices? Almost like not saying, have you ever, you know, cause mm-hmm. then it's like, nope. Okay, good. So it's not right? pointing fingers. No. It's more just, it's almost like you're having a conversation with friends kind of, it oh, kind of sounds like you're having world, a yeah. conversation with somebody who's wanting to know more about pornography yeah. or whatever. And it's funny you say that too, because I even was thinking about this. We were teaching a Sunday school lesson today and I'd, I'd ask some good old artificial intelligence to come up with some modern day examples of something out of Corinthians. And and one of them was, you know, you go to a party and your friend wants to vape and you you talk to him about it. And, and I was thinking even about that concept of, of vaping. And I remember talking to my kids a couple of times and saying, hey, I've heard that, that it's like pretty prevalent in the high schools. Is that the case? And all of a sudden they're talking about it, right? You know, oh yeah. yeah. And you know, I said, I've heard that the, they tell you to, Hey, get out of the vape room when you're in the bathroom and I'm trying to be that kind of thing. And then they start talking more about it. And I think that's an easy way to then start saying like, is that something you guys ever tried or, you know, it's a better, how than, do you feel about that? Yeah. Right. Then just going in and saying, you're not doing that. What do you know yeah. about it? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the part even with porn because it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's a funny clip that I'll have, maybe I'll have to show you guys, but my daughter and I that are doing a podcast called murder on the couch, it was right here. And we're, 
we were looking up the Savannah, the Florida Savannah is what it was. And then I, and I just said, man, what does that mean? And my daughter Sydney said, I don't know, bring it up. So I Google it while we're live on this show. And then we're talking, it's the grasslands of Florida or whatever. And then she says, click images and you can watch. And then you just watch us both go, I mean, just, just nudity. And it was like talking about Brazilian butt lifts and all this stuff. And I just thought it was just so interesting because you know, I've, I think I've got restrictions so on. Innocent. Yeah. How much yeah, is yeah. a Brazilian butt lift? I'm, I, I could use one of those, I think. <laughs> and this is actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Well, this whole thing, uh, well, the whole thing was, this is kind of an intervention, Duff. Kieran, I wanted to let you know that you've been looking a little saggy back there. You so. know what? I think saggy I'm ready. Drawers. I think I'm ready for the talk, guys. Okay. Are you? Yeah, okay. I finally am. <laughs> okay, so I think that I'm old enough to be your parents. Did we establish that when no. you were on my podcast? No. I think so. No. Nice, nice try. Oh, no, yeah. You're just a few years ahead of us. Okay. 51 50. in a month. Okay. Yeah. Practically. I could practically be your dad. You would have been a potent two-year-old. <laughs> okay. So here's what I think is really interesting, and I'll make this so fast. I had an opportunity to consult it, uh, with a company a long time ago in a land far away, and they have a large number of new hires under the age of 25. And they need so like a Google or a Microsoft. I or do somebody not know like who that. you're talking okay. about. I don't gotcha. know any of those. Somebody companies. like that. So then, but they they needed help because they're losing a lot of people. People are going to leave in a year where they used to stay seven or eight years, and they put a lot of money into the training. So they just presented all this really amazing data that I've thought about so often since. And one of them talked about. Um, so I was in technology for a long time, and then you were a hard drive would double every two years, or a computer would get twice as fast every couple of years. And it got to the point where I've been out of that technology game for a long time, but it, apparently it was every couple of months. Hard drives would double in size, microprocessors would double. And so then I, I looked at that as kids, the generations also marked that technology trend. Mm -hmm. So then it was like the technology or the different generations were changing every three or four months. And I mean, I know you guys have a few kids, mine too, and I almost felt like I could look at one of them like Facebook, one of them like Instagram, one of them like TikTok, and it was, they're just a year or two apart. It's yeah. like they all spoke different social media languages as well. Right. And it happened quickly. It happened really quickly. Yeah. yeah. And so then what this data talked about was, I looked at it like this, so when we were kids, if our parents were talking about records, then we would talk about CDs, but we kind of still were on this. We knew that they know what a CD is for the most part. We know what a record is. It was, yeah. but you still had to get it out of a cover, put it into a device, <laughs> yeah. push play. That's a good point. So we're talking the same, so, similar. So similar kind of actions. Yeah. So yeah. now it's like when we talk about CDs with their kids and they're talking about, they don't even understand what it was like to not be able to just say, I would like this song, please. And it plays through your speakers, Bluetooth speakers, no less. So they don't care about CDs anymore at right. all, but we still want to tell stories about CDs. And I think when you look at how that applies to the way we parent or we're talking about pornography or anything, is that we can't still sit back there and say, when I was a kid, you had to uh, take a magazine out from under the medicine cabinet, like a skilled surgeon or whatever. They don't care because they can have pornography on their phone or their computer yeah. instantly. So for better or worse, and I say you can make it better, is that we have to now jump more into to that world. And it doesn't mean I have to learn all the places I can find porn, but I have to accept the fact that I don't want to understand. I don't want to know what their world is because, mm -hmm. because that will even make it easier for our kids to just be off doing whatever it is that they're doing. That sounds like now I'm ready to say, get off my lawn, like a really old man, <laughs> yeah. you know? But yeah. you know what I mean by that though? Yeah, almost like learn how to talk about music yeah. instead of the way it, the music is accessed yeah. because they don't understand that, but they, they understand yeah. music. Yeah. They understand rhythm, beats, lyrics, the meanings behind the songs, things like that. They can actually understand yeah. that. And I think it's part of, that's a good way to put it. And I think part of it is the kid's world has expanded so much, again, for better or worse, where 
I don't know if it was just that they were stuck with us and their friends and people at school, but they there maybe still would be some curiosity about what was life like when you were a kid, dad right. or mom. And now they're so engaged in whatever they're dealing with the comparisons and social media. And, but then the problem is if we say, hey, I think you should get off of that or don't do that. That's the part where they don't even have a concept of what that's like because they are growing up with it's technology. Their it's their life. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so then I think what that ends up doing too is it's hard. It's hard to be a parent. And because you do have to, it goes back to that. Who would I rather have the discomfort, me or my kids? Right. And we're all going to have some. Right. But I'll step out of my comfort zone and then not feel like I did a good job telling them about how I don't think they should do that. And in my day, it looked this way. So you do have to kind of go and, and be more curious about what their experience is. Again, doesn't mean that you're one to let, well, let me see how they access porn. It's right. not about that. Right. But maybe it's not being as naive. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of started at the beginning of that, like that there are people who still believe this is just a male problem. Yeah. So like kind of like that is what mm, you're saying. Yeah, that yeah. There, we have to understand their world, yeah. their online world and their, yeah. And, and it's sense. hard. It is. I mean, I remember with when I was being really intentional about this and it's funny, Duff, you bring up music. My son was into shoes and music and I wanted to say often we had one pair of basketball shoes. We wore them into the building. They were white. They were Converse. That was it. And But I'm not paying attention to all the different versions of whatever he wants to wear. And then, and because it made me uncomfortable because I felt like he's going to want to go buy everything and then those are expensive and that means I'm a bad provider. I mean, you can get in your head so fast. And so I just needed to start learning, hey, tell me about why you like these shoes or then why do you like the music you like? And with one of my daughters, I, it was, hey, what are you watching? What, what kind of stuff are you watching? And she was into this, like, you know, true crime thing on YouTube. So I started spending more time watching that so we would be able to have conversations. Because I think that goes back to, I know we were talking off uh, record, and you guys have talked about this, the that Rat Park experience. Um, yeah, explain yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, describe that. Yeah, yeah. That's so, such a good, I think, you know, it's this has been going around social media. Have you seen that? Oh, like, yeah. Post, it goes around quite, people yeah. People are posting this. Okay, it's, it's a study that was done in the 70s, the Rat Park studies. And so the idea around it was to challenge this. It's a prevailing notion at the time that certain drugs like morphine were irresistibly addictive. And so then you would put a rat in an isolated cage. And at that point, you would give them a morphine laced water and then they had a little lever and they could press it whenever they wanted it and they would inevitably press it until they OD'd. Didn't it also have regular regular water? Yeah, water that as well? comes up. I mean, okay. that, so the, in this this study they got so much of this. There was even a part of it where then they did one where they would only put sometimes the it was there, sometimes it wasn't, and then that it was this concept called intermittent reinforcement. And that's that's something on my you know, on my waking up to, to narcissism podcast. Boy, talk about if you ever heard this concept called a trauma bond when somebody can't kind of get break free from their yeah, abuser. Sure. Yeah. That, that, I mean, we learned from this study there too, because what the rats did in that one was the psychologist thought, okay, if they always have it there, they're going to press that lever constantly because they, they want that fix. If you make it there sometimes and sometimes not, how long until they'll stop pressing it? But instead, they kept pressing the lever still, even though it wasn't there to their demise as well. So then basically that lever, the same thing that gave them the punishment also gave them the reward. Mm. And so that was this concept called intermittent reinforcement. When I talk about parenting, we want to say you can come to me with anything. But then when a kid comes to me and says, I'm looking at porn, then all of a sudden we lose, lose it. it. Yeah. If it's something we don't want to hear. Yeah. So it's an opportunity for the parent to learn how to sit with discomfort and grow and get the right tools because right. we can't be the punisher and the rewarder. Okay. You know, yeah. maybe we can come back and talk about sometime this. There's a concept called the nurtured heart approach with parenting, which is phenomenal for this because you learn that your number one job is to not react. Number two is to build inner wealth, like point out the things you really appreciate and you help them come up with the consequences because 
then you get to be disappointed when they break a rule and you get to praise them when they come out of the timeout or the consequence or whatever. But when we say that we want to, them to come to us, except for when we're angry, you right. know, or you can tell right. me anything except for the things that I really don't yeah. want. Yeah, right? Yeah. But then we don't want to think that we're doing that. So we're like, well, no, 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 I, I don't, you know. So yeah. so much of this comes to the opportunity to grow as a parent, I think. For sure. And, and I think it's important to remind everybody <laughs> It's okay that we're not perfect parents oh. and that and that we're not perfect children. Like we, we're so hard on ourselves, yeah. right? Well, and that's what I want and out of this. Yeah, and I'm so glad you bring that up because in my world, it's, there's already an acceptance that we're all just doing our best. Yeah. And so even when people try to say, man, what if I would have done this or whatever, it's like give yourself grace because yeah. we're just doing the best we can with the information we have. And people are even listening to podcasts like this and they're they're beating themselves up, they're feeling motivated, they're internalizing some things, they heard some things wrong, like a lot of the stuff Duff says. And so then they're they're having a <laughs> I was like, was that joke too fast? No. Saying? Okay. I was just didn't get decide if I was gonna be offended or not. Okay, all right. See, Which I was a choice, right? Yeah. Uh, see, I, I, that was a that was my whole intention. Yeah, that was the soul navigator. That was all navigator. But so the rat park though, then they start doing the rats can have regular water, morphine laced water but they also build them a little rat park. And it's so adorable, apparently. I mean, I've heard. And then the rats, though, want connection and communion with other rats, and they want to... And activity, so they, activity. They like, want something yeah, to do, yeah. a purpose. Yeah. yeah, so I feel like part of the stuff that I really believe in is that when you, if you are trying to be more curious, if you realize that this is... You're all try, we're all trying our best. We're going to be patient. I'm not going to go in and just be accusatory, and I'm going to start having more curiosity. And meanwhile, I'm trying to develop more of a connection on not just the things the kid is not doing right or the things they have to do with our own kids. We found out where we just felt like we were always, no, hey, how's your day, bud? You know, and then finally when they're just like, fine, they're saying, are you just waiting for the, okay, that's good. Hey, did you do your homework? And don't forget to do, you know, and, yeah. and they are. Yeah. And so we had to then realize, okay, I got to spend more time with just how's your day. How are you doing? Yeah, about, yeah. period. And, it, and if I want to know if they did their homework, you know what, why don't I just, I'll worry about that one later but start to develop that relationship, which is like the rat park. I have a question though. Yes. So let's say you are realizing that there needs to be more in the child's life. Okay, they're not yeah. progressing or moving or growing or whatever, but the child resists. They're yeah. like, I don't need anything. I'm fine with just going yeah. to school every no, day or whatever point. it is. So what are some things that parents can do that's to so encourage good. that rat park? Like yeah. we want that that social and we want that well, I, I love that you brought that up because it's everything I just needs to be looked. It's a long game. And I mean that in the best kind of way. So initially, there's a term in psychology I love called psychological reactance, which is the instant negative reaction of being told what to do. It's like it's our built in defense mechanism. So our own brain, if you say don't think of a turtle wearing a top a hat, we're doing it right yeah. now. And he's eating a muffin like we, we just did that, too. I love muffins. You, you, like, <laughs> you also like that, too. You don't like that. I try really hard not to say don't. don't mm-hmm. do Instead, it. I try really hard to say what I want them to do but the in, in an opposite way right so yeah. instead of saying hey don't touch the stove because it's hot yeah it's instead of saying that it's hey put your hand here instead of over here you see what i'm yeah. saying like yeah. there's a way to say things so that the brain doesn't go oh I hear you don't. just told me to touch the stove yeah right yeah. and so in this and kind of on your question there are things that kids want to do they want to be a certain way their dreams they have and hopes and often and I just think about this so often, I never want the parent to be in the way of the kid's dream. I mean, and I mean this by the kid will typically kind of exhaust that on their own. And I'm not even saying that negative. And and I've got uh, an example right now, or it was not too long ago of a client that said all they want to do is 
is be a good artist. And the parents did a nice job of saying, whatever you need, we'll get you whatever you need. Where before they were kind of saying, okay, that's nice, but why don't you take care of some of these other things first in your life? And, and Or so, do you realize artists are broke that, their whole life right? or no, you're no, never totally. going to have any money? Yeah. Or, so then they're kind of like, hey, that's go, not you what go we for wanted it. for you. Yeah. And so yeah. then over time, then the person had access to all the things they needed and then they ended up not really following through on it. And then they then said, oh, maybe that wasn't something that I wanted to do. Mm. And so I really like the concept of I want to help encourage the kid to start dreaming. And then if they do start saying, I want to do this, then then let's say, well, what would that look like? Let's start researching it, whatever that. And I've had a lot of uh, clients over the years do everything from, you know, they start trying to pick up a language or play an instrument or take horseback riding or whatever it is. And it doesn't mean that now that is what they're going to do for the rest of their life. Yeah. They're but just it, interested in yeah, it. Yeah, and that might lead to another thing, which might lead to another thing. And that's when I was talking earlier about I'm going to learn my kids' music and I'm going to, if they're fascinated by shoes, because he ended up doing a little bit of the buying and selling of shoes yeah. online. Yeah. And that was fun. Taught him a little bit about business. And then the other daughter with the true crime stuff, she and I now have a podcast together. And one of my other daughters got really into makeup videos and tutorials where I wanted to make lots of jokes and tell my opinions about it. And now she's a cosmetologist. And so I love when you just start to let your kid just feel like they can explore. And I think a big thing to note here too is that's not me talking about the pornography. And so often I, I think that, you know, we have to acknowledge that, yeah, that's there or, or, and we don't want them to do that, but we got to start building a little rat park. So they got things to do. Right. right. Yeah. I yeah. think that's really important. Yeah. I don't know if that answered the question though. Oh, you did. Yeah. I think, okay. I think just progressing the relationship and you're asking, what are you interested in? Yeah. I think that can be helpful instead of, I think you should be a doctor or that. I think you should, yeah. whatever it is, then you're putting your own yeah. expectations on the child, which I think can cause more That's, shame. Yeah. I, I would actually like to talk more yeah. about the shame. Like what, Okay. tell me how... It, it's potentially the most divisive yeah. emotion yes. or feeling. I will Don't tell a story yeah. about that relates to us that I think is a good example. I remember asking Emma, this is probably a couple of months before she passed, two or three months. And I was not good at um, having a failure of some sort, mm. like maybe I let somebody down or, oh yeah, and it could be super minor. It could be, I can't believe I said that. I put my foot in my mouth, those kinds of things. And I was explaining to her. Me too. I always <laughs> worry about what I said to somebody. <laughs> I, I honestly think that's like the fourth snore today. <laughs> oh, doing great with it. You really oh, are. Babe, you really should are. be happy. Knocking it out of the park <laughs> yeah. today. Okay. Sorry. No, it's okay. So we love to inject the humor. It's good. Yes. It's good. But I was explaining to her, if I have a failure, if I have something I'm disappointed in, then I think of literally everything in my life. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. Remember everything when I did this? Were... And remember when I did that? That was so dumb oh, We catastrophize. I'm yeah. so dumb. Yeah. And I said to her, if I had that feeling today, I described it to her. It's heavy on my chest. I, it's, that's the only, it's yeah. like an elephant on my chest. I'm like, I, have you ever had that feeling? And she said, every day. Oh. Which literally, it, that broke my heart. And so I'm like, I look back and think, how do we as parents see that shame literally just eating them? Mm. How do we combat that? Is that, especially with adult children, yeah. I feel like that is such a huge it hurdle. Is. It is. And okay, I give the quick version of shame. I did bad guilt. Or no, guilt. I did bad shame. I am bad. I am bad. Yeah. yeah. And I'd like to say, when I was promoting my book, I said, I'm over 1,500 individuals I've worked with overcoming pornography, compulsive sexual behavior or whatever, where shame was a component of recovery. So shame has never, ever been anything productive. So when somebody is beating themselves up, that's where I just want, if I'm working with that individual, 
there's a model of therapy I just love, the acceptance and commitment therapy that says that you're the only person that's ever been you that walking the face of the earth. So you think and feel the way you do because you do. There, you don't have stinking thinking or automatic negative thoughts. You're not broken. You're human and you're just going through this for the very first time. And the reason I think that's so significant is we have to start reframing the thoughts of, oh, check this out. In this moment, I'm thinking, I'm noticing I feel like a piece of garbage yeah. instead of I am a piece of garbage. I mean, that's like a start. It's called diffusion. So you're starting to just try to separate that. Okay. You know, I'm I'm Tony, but sometimes I feel like a horrible person. Instead of, I yeah, am instead, a I'm a horrible person. person. Yeah, because okay. being able to put a little bit of that space, now you can step back and say, boy, what is the context when I start to feel this way? Yeah. And that's usually when the acronyms and addiction a lot of times, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Mm-hmm. So when people start to have a lot of these things, here comes the negative feelings around addiction. Sometimes we like to externalize the problem and I'll use alliteration. So pornography, I'll call it Peter. And when does Peter come? Well, Peter comes when I haven't gotten a lot of sleep. And maybe there's been struggles with my spouse and I, and it's time to pay bills. And then I got to watch out for Peter, you know, because that's when, yeah, because I'm a nice guy. Yeah. That the problem can come and externalize it. And that's when we start to get into that shame because yeah. it is a, such a vicious cycle because somebody then has a setback. I'm usually, I'm sometimes I don't even like the words used relapse, you know, but a set, they have a setback and then they beat themselves up which then, you know, they feel worse, which then only causes them to then say, man, I feel uncomfortable. And the brain says, I know what we can do. There's like no right? way to break out of that. Almost. Yeah. yeah. So, so I always say that if stuff, if you have a setback, then, then acceptance that happened. Noted. Yeah. And then don't beat yourself up. Don't go on a bender, take the shame out and then, re- you know, review the game film. Is there anything that I'm pretending not to know? And then turn towards something that matters to you, some value-based goal or activity and then rinse and repeat. Don't expect okay. perfection. That's so important that how we treat ourselves and I appreciate you saying that because I, I think a lot of people do that where once we start to get down on ourselves we do catastrophize a yeah. lot and it's this weird uh, thing from the brain it's where like it, these like, negative dominoes that yeah just, it's almost like the first or one or two hit and you can't stop it almost yeah you know what I mean yeah well because and, and what's wild is that's rooted in this thing where we think that if all of a sudden things are going well for us that then we're gonna again turn the corner and there's a band of marauders so once our brain starts going negative then it's like what else we got you know, right, right, yeah, right. But, and we have to be able to just notice. Yeah. Well, I was just saying it was interesting because I feel like I've been that way my whole life and I'm going to be 49 in December. Mm-hmm. And it was really recently and I, I can't even put like a time or a reason, but where I realized what you're just saying, it's mm-hmm. really all about thought. Yep. And if I stop myself and say, you're not the worst, you're yeah. not this, you're not that. And not allowing those dark thoughts to yeah. keep creeping in yeah. and be like, I, you know what? It's right here. It's ending here. Like, yes, I made this mistake. Like you said, acceptance. owning to it. And, and acceptance just can just be, just like, be like, that happened. Oh, well, that it, happened. it is what it is. Yep. How many times do I say that to you? And, and that's <laughs> it is what it is. so good here, though. That's Whenever I'm interviewed the last couple of years, because we talk about mental health more, which is great. The stigma is down. I've been doing this for a long time. I love that we talk about it. But depression and anxiety are up. And so I have a strong theory that I think we do have the wrong tools. And the first one is your thought, your automatic negative thoughts or your stinking thinking and you're, you know, you're broken and you need to change the way that you think. And that, that belief of just change your thought and it will lead to a different emotion and a different behavior. And I was that kind of therapist for a decade. But what that starts with is, hey, you're broken. Those thoughts are ridiculous. Now just change them. Today, decide today, I am going to be a better person. That feels good. Get a little dopamine bump. Mm-hmm. And now I go out there and all of a sudden somebody ticks me off or I'm late for work or whatever. And now I get, I immediately go right back to my default. Which You're is already angry, back. Right? Yeah. And then I get to beat myself up that I can't even choose to be happy. So right. I really feel like ah, acceptance and commitment therapy says, 
check this out. I'm thinking this. I think because I'm human. I'm the only me with my nature, nurture, and birth order, and DNA, and abandonment, rejection, hopes, fears. Like, that is you. You are so unique that check this out. I'm thinking this. Because it's the very first time you've ever been in that moment as you. Period. Yeah. So that leads to acceptance. I think that one. And then the other one is what we just talked about earlier and don't tell yourself don't think I, I know i shouldn't be thinking this i know i need to stop thinking this and i hear people say that all the time instead it's a check this out this is what i'm thinking so in this scenario check it out i'm telling myself the old i'm a piece of garbage person like is you know, that you kind story. of not giving it power yeah when totally. you say it that way yeah it's, it's like, like yeah it's diffusing it it's starting to just say okay those are thoughts and this is a big part of i'm a big fan of a daily mindfulness practice because we have a million thoughts it's almost like acknowledging it yeah. Is way different than believing it. Yes. Acknowledging it is like, oh, I'm, I mean, right now, for my next trick, my brain is going to tell me to raise my right arm, and I am not doing it. So I don't have to go with the thoughts that my brain's telling me. But why do I have to go with that one? You're a horrible person. You'll never yeah. get over this or whatever. But then we will attach to that one, but I won't do the one about it's been three days since a setback. You know, right. I won't give myself credit for those. So I feel like, yeah, you have thoughts because you do. Don't tell yourself not to think things because don't think of the turtle eating the muffin right so now. So instead of saying don't, we say allow yourself. Yeah, oh, yeah. Check it out. <laughs> I'm thinking that. And then the third one is really just instead of thinking, okay, instead of this, I need to think this because I feel like that's one where it's like in order to get to the good thought, you know, I have to make my way through the bad thought. So it, it just is all about acceptance and then what you're saying. Like, okay, that happened. Yeah. And then Not and then giving it any power. Yeah. Not letting it. And, and then we go back to what we started with, implicit memory. It, what it feels like to be you is based on the slow residue of lived experience. So your default is going to go back to the beat yourself up or whatever. But when it does, then notice that. Give yourself grace. And eventually you will, that this will start to be your default the way that you. So yeah. I have a question that we didn't talk about. Yeah. Off the record, off air. Oh, do you want me to stop it? Or, you know, the, oh. No, the, okay. the podcast <laughs> oh. is called Loving an Addict. Yeah. yeah. So from your view, your, your, that side of the table, your perspective, your understanding, knowledge, everything, what is a, a healthy way to love an addict? Because we've been talking, we've been focused a lot about one type of addiction for the most part today, which is pornography. Yeah. But I think everybody can identify with someone in their life they love and care about. Yeah. Who, who struggles. We learned a lot through this process. Uh, our hope is that some of the other families don't have to go through something so tragic and so difficult and so painful to learn the things that we've learned, yeah. which is what is a healthy way to love people who have these struggles? It's so good. There, so there's a nerdy psychology thing called whole object relations. And that means that I can love something. I can love a person, an entity, a church or whatever. I can love them even though I don't like this part and I'm frustrated with this and I love this. I can have the, my whole, the whole object relation is they are all, they're a big component of things I love, things that maybe frustrate me a little bit, things that are challenged, things that are hilarious, things that are not so much, because that's them. So emotional maturity is I can maintain whole object relations and then this thing called object constancy. I can maintain my relationship with them even though there are things that I don't like about them and because that's, it really is a me issue. Right. You know, and then there's this concept called differentiation, which is where one person ends and the other begins. And so because we get so enmeshed and codependent by nature because yeah. we want to fix them, we don't want to feel bad. So I want them to feel better. And I don't like them feeling bad. So I'll take that upon myself. And that's the stuff that will start to burn somebody out. And then they find themselves just eventually removing themselves. And, and it's almost like the addict says, see, nobody cares. Right. And, and what differentiation is, is like every single interaction we have with another human is almost like it's our muse to, to help me understand myself better. So 
it, am I feeling a certain a bunch of emotions because of what their you know the expectations or the immaturity that is being put on me from that person? Because mm-hmm. if so, then I get to go check this out. You know, I'm noticing that I want to fix their problem. So why is that? Oh, because I'm a caretaker, or maybe when I grew up, I was the person that could go calm everybody down. So that's my opportunity to grow. So in that moment, then I can still maintain. I can have empathy. I can say, "Man, I'm here," and that that sounds so hard. And how can I help you? But then I don't have to lose myself and say, I will fix it. I will take care of that. Because that way you're still able to love the addict without losing yourself. And sometimes I feel like that's the part where a lot of the addicts that I've worked with, they want to be loved so desperately, but they're almost like pushing people away because they feel like they are unlovable. Mm. And so then when somebody's like, I'm trying to help you, you know, then it's, I just made it about me. Right. But when I can say, oh, that's hard. Like that, yeah, you seem really frustrated, mm-hmm. you know? So you're saying compartmentalize them as a, as a person, yeah, they're but all, also they're compartmentalizing person. your relationship. It's a way for you to, yeah. Like, how am I projecting my wants on them Absolutely. instead of yeah. just their well-being? Yeah. Well, well let's, let's call it what it is. That's really, really difficult to do because oh. I, I'm an analogy guy. Yep. And so as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, I go to the gym. I don't love everything the gym offers. Right. Like I don't do the spin class and yeah. I don't like how they monitor the steam room and blah, 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 blah. But I love enough about the gym really good that I keep going yeah. and I can ignore the other stuff. Like I don't care that the spin class is going on because it's not for me anyway. And so yeah. whatever. But when it comes to human beings, especially people that we love and adore and want so much for, that's really difficult to compartmentalize. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not. But right? I love what you just said, though, that what we really want, because it's that's a, a me issue. Right. You right. Know? right. Or, or even at times when we know what's best. Like, we all know it's unhealthy to, to be an addict at mm. something that's destroying your life, mm. right? Whether it's mental, physical, psychological. So I think it's really normal for not just parents, but siblings, friends yeah. to, to, to uh, in a way know what's best, right? And I say that. I know what you're saying. <laughs> take it with a grain of salt. But when you have humanness involved, mm-hmm. How do people, and, and I feel like we learned in a way how to do this, but truly, how do people learn how to love unconditionally, even when they're being harmed? Because what my wife brought something up interesting before, like earlier today is, Emma never stole from us. She yeah. never broke into our house and took things. She was always really good about when she had her setbacks. Yeah. She would kind of excuse herself from us. Yeah. Maybe in a way to protect us and also to hide a little bit yeah. protect yourself but there are tons of families that we know of that are harmed if they let people in right mm-hmm. like they get stolen from yep. they get taken advantage of and, and kids, younger kids get hurt or yeah something. yeah so part of our our goal here is to help teach people the importance of unconditional love but with, with boundaries. boundaries with boundaries Ooh, jinx <laughs> right but that's it though because that's and Duffy you're spot on but and in, in it's you know this is where I feel like everybody it would be a great idea for everybody to go to therapy and, and figure out what why do my buttons get pushed in certain situations because we're so like this cognitive distortion of all or nothing or black or white is that when we finally hit a certain point then we cut people out of our lives and I get it I mean but a boundary is really learning how to, to set a boundary and then if that person is trying to get me pull me in and get me enmeshed then I've set a boundary and I can calmly then say oh I'm not doing that you know, and, and I can remove myself if I have to. 
but there's uh, boundaries versus what can almost look like punishments or sometimes people right. set a punishment right. but they, they right. say I'm setting a boundary yeah yeah and so and but that's a me issue again. it is a me like issue you're talking yeah. that's something that they're not comfortable with but I do feel like you did a really good job with that I think we both did but you would say stuff like listen you're not we don't you're not welcome in the home when you're using and not yeah. wanting it, help. It was right. got to where we, we learned how to have these conversations. And again, be, because we talked openly about, hey, you know, if you have more setbacks, just these are the rules. Yeah. You can't stay here, but you're always welcome here yeah. for things like meals and laundry and hanging out. We just can't allow the drug use in the home happening, yeah. in the happening right? Yeah. yeah. And those kinds of conversations ended up taking place and we learned how to when it would come up, how to just sit next to her and be like, all right, let's talk about it. And that's hard. Yeah, it's well, really that's hard, hard, right? Yeah. It's very hard. But another thing I th- think we did, she ran away once and it was like, literally just couch, took couch off. surfing, you yeah. know, yeah. and like, okay, how do we. And a few months after that, we didn't well, know where she was. Well, there was times when I was like, okay, now I have more compassion for homeless people because yeah. I have someone who I love who is homeless. Yeah. and. Technically, yeah. Yeah. Living out of her car. So she's literally just couch surfing and stuff. And so we were like, well, how do we support her without enabling her? So we started just like. Yeah, so she she would call and ask for money, and we'd be like, you know, honey, we'll send you 75 bucks a week in groceries Mm -hmm. because we know you need to eat. Have groceries delivered. So it wasn't like we're just giving her cash. So things like that, we still feel like we were giving her love but not enabling her yeah and know that and I, yeah no it's a good one again we yeah. could t- i love that concept but i like what you guys said it's not easy no. and and i feel like that's where just knowing that when you set a boundary the person the addict the more emotionally immature or whoever that is that moment doesn't see the boundary and go oh okay cool you guys they see that as a challenge mm-hmm. right and so that's where i feel like it, it it's really hard because when you set the boundary somebody's going to push more until they don't yeah yeah which is hard well, a good time to have discussions like that is when they are, call it sober, yeah, or or Water, healthy. Waters are calm, brownies. You, you, are in you the can't air. have those discussions when they're in the middle of it. No, right? I, you, no, there's, see, there's we could talk for hours you now because <laughs> their amygdala is hijacked, and if they push the right buttons, and we get all fired up, and then right, nothing ever comes good with that. Right? Yeah, yeah. All right, that was probably like good. three hours. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for coming on <laughs> no, our podcast. Thanks, guys. Thank our sponsors today. <laughs> oh, oh my Who's gosh. Who's the sponsor? Well, we today, there we go, there today we go. we're going to thank the brain. Well, and it's the virtual couch stuff. <laughs> All right. And it's the virtual brain, couch. Brain, without you, what would we do? And right. and also to our second sponsor, the virtual couch with Tony Overbay. <laughs> thank you. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, you guys. Thank what you. Hope you enjoyed this podcast with Tony. We love that guy and we appreciate him sharing his knowledge with us and with you. So please comment, like, and share so that we can reach more people here on this podcast. And remember, there is always, always help and always, always hope. We're going to send uh, send you off here with a song that our Emma is singing and, and playing the piano. Mm-hmm.